0: Injured in a car accident, we cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville.
1: The sports world keeps spinning and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
2: And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker, Ryan Green, with you. Glad you are with us. Middle of the week. Super Bowl 57 coming up on Sunday. Boy, we are absolutely jam-packed tonight up until 10 o'clock. We're going to kick it off in about 20 minutes. DJ Lagway, the commitment Quarterback commitment for the class of 2024 to the University of Florida, a four-star on some websites, a five-star on other websites among the top 10 quarterbacks in the country for the class of 2024. He will join us tonight here on Hacker After Dark in about 20 minutes. I'm going to ask DJ Lagway about Billy Napier and their relationship. I'm going to ask, quite frankly, about Jaden Rashada And the trepidation Gator fans have that they don't want the same thing to happen. And DJ will give us his thoughts on all that. Florida fans, I think you'll enjoy the conversation. DJ Lagway, your 2024 top 10 national quarterback commitment is coming up tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Coming up later on in the 8 o'clock hour, we are 33 days away from NFL free agency. And with that, Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus and AboveTheCap.com. Brad is a salary cap guy for Pro Football Focus. It's what he does. We're going to lay a blueprint, an outline, if you will, of what the Jaguars need to do to get under the cap, what they need to do to be able to re-sign Arden Key, Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, and what, if anything, can be done for maybe Jacksonville to go out and spend some more money this year. In free agency. Jaguar fans, I think you'll appreciate and enjoy the conversation there. Brad Spielberger, the salary cap guy for Pro Football Focus. He is coming up later on in the 8 o'clock hour. In the 9 o'clock hour, we witnessed history last night out in Los Angeles. LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most points scored in the history of the NBA with that Sean Devaney, our NBA guy here. On Hacker After Dark, he's with Heavy.com. He has covered the NBA for years. We'll talk to Sean Devaney about LeBron last night and look ahead to the trade deadline, which is tomorrow afternoon. And finally, we will talk a little Super Bowl here in the middle of Super Bowl week. Leon Searcy, you get him every day on XL Primetime, you get him weekly. Here on Hacker After Dark, as we'll look at Kansas City and Philadelphia as we are just a couple of days away from Super Bowl 57. So we are absolutely jam-packed. We're glad you're with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now.
1: Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal?
2: What is the big big deal? It is a
1: big deal on Hacker After Dark.
2: All right, so I'm on social media today gathering all the information I can. That's what I do during the day. I gather information to bring you a top-notch, quality broadcast every night here on Hacker After Dark. And earlier this afternoon, I see a tweet come out from the Players' Tribune. And it's a story written by Jaguar quarterback Trevor Lawrence where he gives his thoughts on the season on the past, and what's to come here in Jacksonville. And quite frankly, it got me right in the feels. What a a masterpiece of a story that Trevor Lawrence put together with the Players' Tribune. Jaguar fans, do yourselves a favor. If you have not read this story today, it'll take you five minutes. It is absolutely worth your time. Would highly recommend it. Of course, that is after Hacker after Dark goes off the air at 10:01 Eastern Standard Time. But I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts from what Trevor told the Players Tribune, and again, I'm reading this thing, and I'm like, my gosh, this city, this fan base, has been in football hell for 13 out of the last 14 years. Let's call it what it is. It has been the equivalent. Of football hell and now it's as if the light is shining through the pearly gates whatever you want to call it have opened and in walks trevor lawrence and doug peterson and this awful sinking ship of the last 13 of 14 years has now got a new captain and is now full steam ahead And it is just freaking glorious, man. Glorious for you, the fans. Glorious for us in the media. Glorious for all parties involved. Times in Jacksonville are so much better when the Jaguars are winning as opposed to when they're losing every Sunday by 30 points. And goodness knows we've had to deal with that. Let me just read you a couple of paragraphs from this. Again, it's a decently... Long story. It'll take you about five minutes, but it is absolutely worth your time. I retweeted it on my timeline on Twitter. It's not hard to find. Just search Trevor Lawrence, the Players' Tribune. This is how it starts. Look, I don't want to be writing this. I don't want to be home. I want to be out there with my guys, prepping for another game. I want to be showing out for Jacksonville, but these past few months... We've grown a lot as a team, and we want this to be the beginning of our story. So I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of Duval because I know how much this season meant to our city. Trevor Lawrence continues in the Players' Tribune. So we went up to Tennessee, beat them, beat the Cowboys in OT, went to New York Thursday night W, beat the Texans, And then it was all set for week 18, winning in against the Titans at the bank. And that's when I felt the city come to life. That's when the energy was in the air. The beach had a buzz. Downtown was alive. Even Publix felt a part of it. I don't think people realize how diehard our fans are, how much Jaguar fans love this team, and how hungry they are for a winner. They just want us to be great they want us to get there i felt that trevor lawrence finishes one of the things i remember from last season is thinking how will we ever get guys to want to stay here or even come here it's only a year ago that i was worried about that and now i hear all i hear is guys talking about how did how this is a family i hear guys talking they know this is one of the best organizations in football so duval Thank you from the bottom of my heart for sticking with us, for believing in us. We couldn't have done this without you. The playoff win, that feeling, I want that forever. I promise it was just the beginning. And I promise that where these last two teams are going, that's where we're planning on being. It was always the Jags, Trevor. Good grief, man. If that doesn't get you, like I said, right in the feels, Think about what this city, this fan base, has put up with. The absolute nonsense that this city has put up with, really going back to 2008, with the obvious exception of 2017. You survived Mike Malarkey, you survived Gene Smith. You survived Shaq Harris. You survived Gus Bradley. It took seven and a half years, and you had to survive every day of Dave Caldwell. Good grief. Doug Marone, eh, I'll give him a little bit of a pass. Urban Meyer, ugh. And now here we are. I've always used the Andy Dufresne comparison from the Shawshank Redemption. Jaguar fans, you have swam through 500 yards of the most disgusting stuff imaginable as a fan of this football team. And now you have come out clean on the other side. And reading this today from Trevor and the Players' Tribune, look, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. It's your prerogative. But if this doesn't want you to go out, make you want to go out and get tickets, get merchandise, season ticket inquiries, whew, Man, the quarterback gets it. The quarterback's got a chip on his shoulder, too. That's in this story as well. You have a quarterback that loves your city. You have a quarterback that loves this franchise. And you got a quarterback that has kept receipts for people that said he wasn't what he was promised. It's, by the way, I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house. There was certainly times that I had questioned Trevor. So His rookie year, are you kidding me? 12 touchdowns, 17 picks. Of course you questioned Trevor. Most of you will say you didn't now. You know as well as I know, that's bunk. Last year, you were questioning Trevor. Even I would say Halloween this year, clearly that Denver game in London. People were questioning Trevor, myself included. But whatever happened on that plane ride home changed him, man. He became more confident, and he had the chip on his shoulder, and he is now just a part of this fan base, this city. And when you read this story, if it doesn't get you unbelievably fired up for what's to come, then I don't know what to tell you. It was awesome. Certainly worth five minutes of your time. Again, Trevor Lawrence, the Players' Tribune. I highly, highly recommend it. From one quarterback to another. Again, we'll do plenty on the Jaguars tonight, including Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, their salary cap analyst. He's joining us in about a half an hour to kind of lay an off-season blueprint for what the Jaguars need to do, not only to get under the cap, but what they could potentially do as far as re-signing guys and maybe making a splash or two in free agency. But coming up next, we'll go from Trevor Lawrence the future in Jacksonville, to what many believe and who many believe is the future in Gainesville. And that's DJ Lagway, one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the country for the class of 2024. He is committed to the University of Florida. I'm going to have DJ Lagway here on Hacker After Dark. We're going to talk Billy Napier. We're going to talk a little Jaden Rashada. What was it about Florida that led Lagway there? What is he doing in recruiting to help Florida's class in 2024, which, by the way, currently sits in the top five in America? And what are his thoughts on coming to Florida and playing in front of you, the Gator Nation? DJ Lagway out in the state of Texas. He's next, Hacker After Dark, on a Wednesday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are glad you are with us. And brought
1: to you by the accident attorneys at Farah and Farah.
2: Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The college football world never stops spinning. Of course, the Florida Gators always at the forefront of our minds, and come 2024, one of the main components to that will be quarterback DJ Lagway from the state of Texas. DJ joins us here tonight on 1010XL. DJ, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about yourself? DJ, we're good, buddy. Thank you for the time. And how good does that feel? It's been a couple of months now, but when you say future Florida Gator, DJ Lagway, that has a nice ring to it, does it not?
3: <laughs> yes, sir. Most definitely. Yes, sir.
2: What was it, DJ, about Billy Nape here in the University of Florida that led you to that decision?
3: Just really the way he uh runs his program. You know, what I mean, I like the way he does things and I just I'm, I can't wait to get in there and learn from him and just continue to develop as a quarterback.
2: You know, obviously, you could have gone to a lot of different schools. There were a lot of schools that were after you for years and years and years. What was the recruiting process like for you?
3: It's, it was it – was I had a good recruiting process, you know what I mean, just getting to meet a lot of people, just talking to different coaches, you know what I mean, people that I've seen on TV, getting to meet them in person. It was a real – it's been real fun.
2: You know, obviously, and I'm sure you know this with as many times as you've visited the University of Florida, even here in the Jacksonville area, people are fired up about DJ Lagway and seeing what you're doing on social media, helping recruit for the Gators. The 2024 class is already, I think, a top three class overall nationally. I mean, are you aware of what Gator Nation thinks about you and how excited they are for your arrival?
3: Oh, yes, sir, most definitely. I'm just blessed and fortunate to be around the top fan base in the country, you know what I mean? Because, but, like, I'm just excited to whenever I get to campus, you know what I mean, just get to work and just get Florida back to where it used to be.
2: DJ Lagway, quarterback a commit for the University of Florida, part of the 2024 Florida recruiting class. DJ, your father played college football. I mean, how, how did he help you in the recruiting process? What kind of guidance did he give you during this time? He gave me a lot of guidance, you know what I mean, just trying to
3: help me read through the lines with people because people will tell you anything, especially in the recruiting process, and just really figuring out who's really, truly, that truly cares for you, you know what I mean, and truly wants the best interest for you.
2: DJ Lagway here with us now. The new Florida football facility, all the excitement that Billy Napier has brought to this program. DJ, Gator fans get to see Billy Napier from afar, right? They hear him at press conferences, hear him speaking to Gator clubs, but they don't get the one-on-one contact with Billy Napier like you do. For Gator fans here in Jacksonville listening tonight, what type of guy is Coach Napier? What do you like about him?
3: He's the same guy y'all see on TV. You know what I mean? He's really down to earth, down to earth guy, but really to keep it straight up with you. You know what I mean? I feel like he's a he's a faith driven man. You know what I mean? I just can't wait to get up there and learn from him and learn on and off the field from him.
2: And you know this because I see you doing it on social media. When a big-time quarterback like yourself commits to a program, you kind of become the guy, the centerpiece of that recruiting process, and you seem to be embracing that, man. You're on Twitter every day talking to your fellow 2024 um, prospects, the best players in the country. I mean, you welcome, it. it appears, that role of really helping Florida recruit to have a top class next season. Uh, What what about that do you enjoy doing?
3: You know, I just enjoy building a relationship with the guys, you know what I mean? Because one day they could be my future teammates, you know what I mean? And one day, you know, if they don't come to Florida, you know, you know, the transport portal people could just move around. So I feel like if they don't have a like it where they're at, they they can just probably come to Florida and just already have a great relationship with them. But I feel like just really building relationships is huge for me
2: couple of more for D.J. Lagway. D.J., for Gator fans listening tonight that know the name, they know about you, but maybe they haven't seen your film, haven't seen you play live, certainly. What type of quarterback is D.J. Lagway? What are the Florida Gator fans going to see you, when you are in an orange and blue uniform?
3: I'm a type of quarterback that just tries to win games, you know what I mean, just try to put the ball down the field, and, uh, just try to let my playmakers make plays and don't try to do too much and just – let the game come with me and just try to win.
2: You know, DJ Final Moments here, man. Again, appreciate you joining us. Know you're very busy this time of year. Uh you you look at everything going on around the University of Florida and certainly the Jaden Rashada situation did not end the way that everybody would have hoped that it would have ended. And some Gator fans are you know, have a little trepidation, I guess, because of what happened with Rashada. And, and I don't want you to necessarily have to speak on that, but you know, you are, based on every interview I've seen, you're 100% in with the Florida Gators. I mean, that's that's what you appear to be right now. Is that still the case? Is your recruiting process, you know, shut down? Are you still looking? What's your thought on all that?
3: Oh, yes, sir. I'm 100% locked in with the Florida Gators. You know what I mean? I'm just really – I just can't wait to get down there and just get to work. That's my biggest thing. really just finished up at high school, try to go win a state championship here, and then –
2: DJ, final final question for you. You know, how highly thought of you are on all the recruiting websites and all the recruiting ranking boards. I mean, you got to know the stars next to your name and what people think of you. I mean, do you let any of that ever sink in or do you not worry about that sort of thing?
3: I don't. I really don't worry about those sort of things. I just try to come out there, try to come out every day just to get better. Just continue to get better every day and just work with my guys, build chemistry with my, my high school teammates. That's my biggest thing right now.
2: You know, getting ready for your senior season, man, you said you're ready to win a state championship. How important is it for you to finish your high school career uh, strong out there in the state of Texas?
3: It's huge because I just want to continue to develop, you know what I mean, and just finish off strong. Because so I've been battling for three years. I just want to finish my fourth year off strong and just have fun while doing it and be stay healthy.
2: DJ, leave us with this, man. A lot of Gator fans, a lot of Gator Nation listening to 1010XL tonight. Do you have any message for the Gator fans that are listening to you right now?
3: Uh, Yes, sir. We coming. You know what I mean? I'm just excited to get up there. And when I get up there, I'm going to give him all and give him my heart out.
2: DJ Lagway, one of the best players in the country for the class of 2024, quarterback from the state of Texas, committed to the University of Florida. DJ, thank you for the time. We'll talk again soon, bud.
3: Yes, sir. No problem. I
2: appreciate it. Thank you for having me. There you go. DJ Lagway, Gator fans, an impressive young man, an impressive guy. I really appreciate his coaches out there for uh, hooking that interview up tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And I know there's trepidation. I know that because of what happened with Jaden Rashada, you know, some Gator fans are concerned. Could the same thing happen with DJ Lagway? Unfortunately, I'm not Nostradamus, right? I can't predict the future. All I can do is talk to the man, let you hear the interview, and you decipher for yourself what type of guy, what type of player, what type of character DJ Lagway is. And I will tell you, for me personally, I came away unbelievably impressed talking to that young man. Again, his father played college football, I believe, at TCU. or Yeah, TCU or Baylor. It was one of them in the state of Texas. I want to say it might have been TCU. But regardless, his father played college ball. His father's been through the process. And DJ's biggest thing was he wanted to commit prior to his senior year. He wanted to start building the 24 class for the school he committed to. To his credit, that is exactly what he is doing. DJ Lagway, a top 10 quarterback in the state of Texas, in the country, committed to Florida as part of what currently is the number three class in America for the Florida Gators in the class of 2024. Now, here is the... Issue for Florida and Gator fans. Good times appear to be ahead. Getting there is going to be a bumpy road. All right? Let's be honest. This Gator roster as it sits right now, knowing you have games at Utah, Tennessee, Georgia, at LSU, at South Carolina, Florida State, I'm not going to break it down for you. It's not a scientific process here. That's a really hard schedule. And your team is coming off a 6-7 and campaign in which you just lost your quarterback to the NFL draft. You lost your best defensive players. You lost arguably, what, two-thirds of your best wide receiving core. I mean, it's a tough situation right now for the Gators. Young guys could potentially step up. That is the hope, no question. But 2023 could be rough. What do they say? What's that saying? The night is darkest just before the dawn. Well, I think DJ Lagway and that class that Billy Napier is putting together in 2024, albeit in the very early stages, that could potentially be the dawn for the Napier tenure in Gainesville. Getting there? Going to be some problems. I mean, look, raise your hand, not if you're driving. If you're driving, just do it um, hypothetically. But how many people honestly think Florida is going to go to Salt Lake City on Labor Day weekend and beat Utah? I mean, let's get real here. How many of you honestly think Florida is going to go to Baton Rouge and beat LSU? How many think Florida is going to come to the cocktail party and beat Georgia? You got Florida State. Florida State would love nothing more than coming to the Swamp and embarrass you. At South Carolina, you feel good about that one? Tennessee, you feel good about that one? We broke this down, I think it was late last week. You look at Florida's schedule. They got two give me games and they got Vanderbilt. Those are the three they should win. I think, what is it, like McNeese State, Charlotte, and Vanderbilt. I know Vandy beat you last year, but come on. If you can't beat Vanderbilt in the swamp, then there's no point in even having this conversation. So let's assume you get the three that you're supposed to get. McNeese State, Charlotte, Vanderbilt. That's three wins. Then you got three toss-ups. Your three toss-ups are probably Missouri, and you got to go to Missouri, which is never an easy place to play. Kentucky, and Kentucky's had your number as of late, and South Carolina. Then you got games that you're going to be a big underdog in. Your Utahs, your Tennessees, your Georgias, your LSUs, your Florida States. I mean, it is a tough, tough putt for the Gators in 2023. But the point is, if you get through this with six or seven wins, which, by the way, you tell me seven and five right now for Florida, this is where Gator football is. You tell me on February, what is it, Denmark, February 8th, 7-5 and right now for the Gators in 2023, I would sign on the dotted line. I would absolutely sign on the dotted line. That would mean you win your three cupcakes, you win two of your three toss-ups, and you win two of the games that you're probably not supposed to win. Denmark, am I overstating that? You're a Gator alum. You got orange and blue blood. Flowing through your veins, would you sign on for seven and five right now? Yeah, 100%. 100%. That's a sad state of affairs, right? But that's just the reality. I mean, if you look at the roster and you say seven and five, I mean, you would probably guess how many games in Vegas the Gators would be favored in probably six. Maybe, if if that, maybe. I don't know if they're favored at Missouri. Yeah, I I don't think they're favored at South Carolina. I mean, it might be they might be favored in three or four games this year. Yeah, and that's that's being generous, but. If you survive 23, and everything stays as we think it will, and Lagway comes in, will he be the savior as a true freshman? Probably not, but that class they're putting together around him looks to be pretty good. It's just the beginning stages, but if things keep going the way they're going, 2024 could be the dawn, quote unquote, for Billy Napier's tenure. Can he get there? Or, and you know as well as I do, Gator fans, you know, you, you know how you are. I know how you are. We all know how you are. Florida goes 5-7 this year. You're going to be talking about Billy Napier. That's reality. You've earned that reputation. It's going to happen. Some of you were talking about Billy Napier last year, which I thought was ridiculous. But if he does win six or fewer games in 2023... You know what's going to happen. There'll be firebillynapier.com if there's not already. There'll be this isn't the guy. This is Jim McElwain 2.0. Who knows what some of you will come up with. Stay the course, man. Stay the course. And if you get through 2023, I got a feeling things might be a little bit brighter on the other side. 641-1010 is the phone number. If you want to get involved on the phone line or on the text line, you are more than welcome to do so. As always, Jacksonville, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure. We're on Twitter tonight, at 1010XL on Twitter. You can watch Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock. Likewise, on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there as well until 10 o'clock this evening. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you coming up next. Back into the world of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Free agency, 33 days away. Let's lay a blueprint out. The The Jaguars currently sit $32 million over the cap. That's the projection. What do they need to do to get under that? What do they need to do to be able to re-sign Arden Key? Re-sign Evan Ingram? Re-sign Jawan Taylor? What do they need to do to maybe make a splash or two outside of the building to bring in guys to Jacksonville for the second year in a row we'll talk about all of that Brad Spielberger pro football focus and above the cap.com. he is the PFF salary cap analyst and he is next hacker after dark on a Wednesday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Boy, the Super Bowl is on the horizon, and after that, all eyes will look towards free agency Monday, March the 13th. The Jaguars have a lot of questions and not a lot of time to answer them, about five weeks or so away from some serious decisions being made here in Duval County. With that, Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus and Over the Cap Dot com. It's what he does, man. He knows the salary cap, and we love having him on here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brad, it's been a while, man. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. How you
2: doing? Hey, Brad, we're good. Always appreciate the time. And, look, you're a busy man, 365 days of the year, but about a month out from free agency, that certainly gets amped up for you a little bit. Uh, the Jaguars a year ago had, to me, what might be one of the great free agent halls in franchise history – Brad, just a quick review, man. The free agents the Jaguars brought in a year ago and your thoughts on how those guys performed. Yeah,
0: you know, they obviously are are, are consistently big spenders and there have, of course, been some unfortunate misses in years past. And I think last year... Was a great year to bring in some foundational core pieces, even some of the guys that didn't work out right out of the gate, like a Darius Williams, for example. You finally put him back to outside cornerback where he's more comfortable, and I think you see him play what you expected when you signed him. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the moves that got panned, obviously Christian Kirk has been this big narrative, but also Zay Jones's deal, you know, got criticized as well. And he had a big year and kind of took that step that many people, obviously, in Jacksonville thought he could. So, you know, and then the smaller deals, obviously, the one year flyer for. Evan Ingram looks great. Arden Key, I think, it was one that I know I loved and shouted out as a phenomenal signing in the moment, not just now in hindsight that they had a great season. But, yeah, it was a really, really good haul for them and, and changes you know, the trajectory of this team going
2: forward. You know, they spent a lot of money last year, and conventional thinking is you spend a ton of money one year, you're not going to be able to spend a ton of money the next year. And I agree with that, although Trent Baalke has been praised, Brad, and I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, this is what you do. He's been praised for how he structured a lot of these contracts. It was big money on the surface, but when you dig a little deeper into Christian Kirk, Brandon Sheriff, some of these deals, it's not maybe as bad as some would have indicated, you know, when it happened a year ago.
0: So what they did is they didn't do a ton of front-loading with these massive signing bonuses. And so why that matters now when you're talking about maybe spending again, and I do think maybe it's not as big as last year where they set the record you know, for the most total guarantees and most first-year cash ever given to external free agents. But what he did was you can still restructure some of these deals and not to go do- too deep in the cap weeds, but essentially you can push more cap down the line to enable yourself to spend more um, on players this offseason. So yeah, he didn't give these massive signing bonuses that will, you know, hinder their ability to move money around even more. Um, And and so they can go ahead and do that on their top guys that they believe will be around for the future. Because, look, the trend across the NFL the last couple years is when you have that quarterback going into the third year of his rookie contract, which, of course, is the case for Trevor Lawrence, that has often been the big, big spending window. You saw with the Chargers, the Giants, the Cardinals. You go back years, and every team kind of capitalized on that last rookie year deal before the fifth-year option. So I think the Jaguars will spend a little bit and see if they can make an even deeper playoff push with Trevor Lawrence.
2: Brad Spielberger here with us, PFF, and OverTheCap.com on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Brad, before we start talking about the players, I do want to ask you about Trent Bulky. A uh, guy got a bad rap in San Francisco. He, quite frankly, had a pretty bad rap here up until about Thanksgiving when the Jaguars decided to become one of the best teams in the NFL. As a guy that has uh, watched Trent Baalke from afar, I'm sure you study general managers maybe a little more than most with what you do with the salary cap. Just an overall thought from you, Brad, on Trent Baalke and the job he's done here in Jacksonville.
0: Yeah, like you said, it's been a bit of a complete 180 from last season with the uh, the clown (laughs) dress up and all that stuff. I mean, look, I think He was hit or miss in San Francisco. There were some good players. They brought aboard. I think they were maybe too predicated on talent and ignoring everything else, um, which is, you know, a a thing that some teams do and often get away with. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl right now, and they've often, you know, taken some risks on really talented players and ignored other things, and sometimes it bites them, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I also would say that, you know, we know that him and Jim Harbaugh were not the best of friends, and I think we underestimate how much coaches have to do even with – the players you bring in in the draft, the players you bring in for agency. So, look, I think he's probably an average GM. I think that we need to see more of a body of work in Jacksonville where now I do think Doug Peterson probably lets him, to a degree, or maybe more so than Jim Harbaugh, let him do his business. Um, but I'll say this. Look, when we mocked those deals from last year, I talked to agents and players and teams around the NFL. They called it the Jaguars tax. And it was basically, you got to pay more to convince my guy to go to Jacksonville. I'll tell you. With Trevor Lawrence looking like he did this year, that tax is gone, or it should be. Um, and I think that also just fundamentally changes what they're capable of doing in building out this roster.
2: I think that's a fantastic point. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, and OverTheCap.com. All right, Brad, $32 million is the number that we're hearing the Jaguars are projected over the cap. Free agency begins Monday, March 13th. I'll start at the very basic Shaq Griffin, I think you would save thirteen million by cutting him. I mean that that's a no brainer, correct?
0: I probably would agree with you there, yeah.
2: And, and and the Shaq Griffin thing, look, uh you take a chance on a guy, a corner from Seattle, it didn't work out, but you know, you, you can get out of it two years after the deal. Again, that was constructed pretty well, in my opinion, by Trent Balky.
0: Yeah, no, did not hinder yourself. He You signed him at the same market as a lot of the other guys in that corner class in free agency. It was Will Jackson, who obviously, you know, got cut by the, the commanders this year, so didn't even finish his deal there. Um, and that was the market. It was around $13 million that they were in the market. I thought that was actually going to be a nice signing. I thought he was a good player and a good fit in this defense. But, yeah, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out.
2: All right, so Shaq Griffin's gone. $13 million of that thirty-two comes off. Now you're roughly nineteen million over the cap now you got to start making some decisions as you said contracts can be restructured we'll get to that in a moment the two guys that I thought were no-brainers that they might get released but then all of a sudden they became two of the Jaguars best defensive players down the stretch were Roy Robertson Harris and Rayshon Jenkins I think combined you could save almost 13 million dollars in cutting those guys Brad but at this point I think both guys might be too valuable what's your thought there
0: it's funny. You let me right there. I, I, I thought Jenkins, no question. Um, I thought that was a, a rich deal when, when it first happened. And then I, you know, thought he kind of was playing at the level of the contract. He should have gotten not the one he did get, but yeah, then he has these, these game changing, you know, season defining plays. You maybe don't want to buy too much into, right. You want to look at the full body of work and, and break down every snap and not convince yourself that you had to keep a guy just because of some splash plays, but he clearly means a lot and, and it had some foundational moments. So, for him, I think it's probably still maybe more of a question um, because I think you can find replacement safety play um, for maybe less than he's honestly going to get paid next year, eight and a half million dollars. Um, you can find that. There are a lot of safeties always available in free agency. For me, Roy Robertson Harris, I'm a Bears guy, so I saw him grow up and develop in the Chicago system, and I think he always had more untapped potential. Transitioning from you know a, an outside linebacker to adding weight and going to then DN and now kind of playing on the inside. I think you got to keep him. he he was disruptive um and, and a problem for opposing offenses but then secondly the inverse of the of the safety market there's just not a lot of interior defensive line talent available um and so I think he is now on his price tag, you know, a good value to keep on that roster. I wouldn't even be surprised if they maybe add a couple of years and extend him at this point. Um, so that's kind of how I see those two playing
2: out. Another guy, and it's going to be a tough decision. Look, it's a, it's a business. It's tough decisions. Jaguar fans won't like some of this stuff if it happens, but Jamal Agnew, I think is going to get paid $5 million next year, roughly. And you would save that against the cap. If you release him with the arrival of Calvin Ridley. I mean, how does Jamal Agnew factor into the offense? As great as he is, on special teams, Brad, could you see that as a potential savings if they were to let Jamal Agnew go?
0: And so this is now where, and I know this is frustrating to hear, you know, when you're you're a fan of an organization, you can't choose which organization you root for. And I don't know if we're here yet, but for me, you look at a team, if he was on, you know, the, the Bills, whatever, they would approach him for a pay cut, and I think he would take it. Right, like I think players would want to stay in a stable, good environment with a good coaching staff, with a good locker room, all those things. Maybe we are there now. Maybe the, maybe Jacksonville is getting to that point where say, hey, look, you're probably not going to get you know broken off in free agency on some big deal. Um, you know, maybe we're you know it's too much money at four point seven five million. Let's cut that in half, add some incentives and whatnot, and you can earn that money back. Um, so maybe you try that approach with him. Um, But, you know, those are kind of the things that now you hope to be able to do in a building where players want to come to. A
2: couple more for Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com. Always love the salary cap conversation here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, the Jaguars have 13 unrestricted free agents. I won't get into all of them, certainly. There's three big ones. We'll begin on Arden Key. You mentioned him earlier, Brad. He did a one-year, quote, prove it deal, and I think he did prove it. Uh, Arden Key, the Jaguars' salary cap situation—how likely, how feasible would it be for the Jaguars to be able to keep him?
0: I think they definitely can, and I think they should. I think his inside-outside pass rush flexibility—you know, kicking him on the inside on, on p- obvious passing situations and third downs—it just adds an element to this defensive line um, and this pass rush unit. Where now, if you have development from Trayvon Walker, you obviously have Josh Allen, a stud on this team already, um, and, and it just—it just enables you to do more. He's had his back-to-back best seasons in the NFL by a decent margin. I still think there's room for some growth, but I also don't think he's going to break the bank because to me, I I don't see him becoming some 800, 900 snap guy. Like he's going to be your 500 snap, you know, use him in certain situations, let him be fresh and kind of, you know, get after the quarterback when it's most convenient. So, I think it's entirely possible. I think I have him projected around eight to $10 million per year, nothing crazy, um, and, and they do have a lot of flexibility here. Um, I, I think he is a priority re-sign for them, no question.
2: Before we get into Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor, Brad, speak to that flexibility. I mean, I think on paper, Christian Kirk counts $30 million against the cap right now. That will not be the case on March 13th, Correct.
0: Right. You restructure his deal, but it's a simple restructure, you clear eleven million dollars in cap space.
2: And and how many I mean, Brandon Sheriff, I mean a lot of the guys that they signed last year, that's what they're gonna do. So that thirty two million that they're over the cap right now, based on what you're saying, that's going to evaporate relatively quickly.
0: Yeah, so you know, if you do the same thing with Cam Robinson, you clear about seven point seven, six and a half for Brandon Sheriff, six and a half for Foyer Lukun. So right there we just found twenty million more dollars. And again, you don't want to always do this in perpetuity and always be pushing cap down the line, but all of these guys, their their salaries are already fully guaranteed for next year. So hey, that's a big part of it. Is that look, we're we're paying this guy this money regardless. We're not kicking cap down the line on a non-guaranteed salary. Um, you know, yeah, that, that's what they're going to do, and, and they should do it with a handful of these
2: players. All right, Brad, the two big ones that have gotten all the talk here in Jacksonville. We'll begin with Evan Ingram. Again, another prove-it deal, and my gracious, did he prove it. His best year as a pro. I think a lot of that, quite frankly, had to do with the offense and Doug Peterson, and I think Evan Ingram has to realize what Doug Peterson and, and, and means with the tight ends in his offense, so you wonder how much that plays into his decision but he's going to get some money a 28-year-old tight end that did what he did this year how feasible is it for the Jaguars to keep Evan Ingram
0: yes yeah, so the thing here is that the market at tight end is just still so suppressed where if he had that type of year at you know wide receiver let's just say you know comparable to what he did you map it over to a position that is getting paid you know like crazy as opposed to a position that is kind of artificially capped by George Kittle's 15 million per year deal right now Um, You know, I haven't projected around three years, 13 million per year, somewhere in that range, um, which is entirely feasible. And that's a a number two receiver in the NFL these days. That's Curtis Samuel and the Washington Commanders, just kind of a random name, you know, came to mind. Like, you can pay that, right? I think you can find a way to do that. If he wants to, you know, totally break the bank and go, you know, way in the the upper echelon of tight end compensation, maybe you say, hey, well, we'll look elsewhere. But I agree with you. I think he's going to realize, look, I just had – the best season of my career in large part because of the way I was deployed. I'm not lining up in line and doing things that are not, you know, conducive to my skill set. Like the New York giants used me, Doug Peterson's getting me the ball quickly on quick outs and, and just doing things to make, to let me work in space, use my athleticism, all those things. So I think they'll find a way there as well. I think he would be smart to stay. And I do think he's a big piece of this Jaguars offense. You know, they don't have a ton at tight end if they
2: do let him go. Final moments, Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, and OverTheCap.com. Probably the biggest one's Jawan Taylor because of his age. He's coming off his best year, Brad. Right tackles that have started every game in their four-year career, they get paid on the open market. There is no question about that. What can Jacksonville do, if anything, to keep Jawan Taylor?
0: This one I think is maybe the most fascinating because, I mean, we saw what Walker Little can beat. Um, you know, he's a really, really good young player Can play on both sides of the line Has at times When I mean, you take him with an early second round pick you know, Betting on a guy who missed his, his last year at college and had some injuries but a prospect that when he did play you know i know our draft analyst mike renner thought like hey this guy was healthy and played the whole way through he's a top 10 pick like that's the talent he is he just fell for other reasons so that makes it very very interesting to me like you said taylor had his best year we agree on all our metrics he had his best year was a really really good pass protector um one of the best uh tackles in the entire nfl at not allowing pressure um you know, I think it's going to get into the 14, 15, 16, maybe, you know, million per year conversation. You obviously just paid Cam Robinson. You know, I, I, maybe they do go franchise tag, but it's a big number, and, and you maybe don't want to go through that again like you just did. Um, that one's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm kind of giving, I guess, giving a cop-out answer. They can find a way to get it done. But I wouldn't be shocked if maybe he squeaks out of there and they say, look, we have Cam Robinson and Walker Little. Um, you know, we, we feel comfortable there. We can save that money and spend it elsewhere. Um, but at the same time, he he is looking like a really good young player.
2: Not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like Arden Key, Evan Ingram likely returns Jawan Taylor, maybe not so much. Would that be accurate?
0: I would still put you know, I'll say fifty five percent chance he leaves, right? Like I, I still think it's a
1: very, very close call on Taylor.
2: And, and Brad, final question. Uh Trent balky at his postseason press conference a couple of weeks ago said cash is what's important not the cap what did he mean by that
0: yeah so look you can always manipulate the salary cap again you don't want to go crazy with it and put yourself in this deep deep hole but at the end of the day what matters more is the cash budget that you have at your disposal and your owner's willingness to spend money if they are saying hey I want to spend a bunch I want to surround this this team and this young quarterback with talent you can push those cap hits down the line like we talked about. And essentially it's like a credit card, right? That's what I like, that's what I like to say. It is you are pushing it down the line. The bill is going to come due eventually – but when you have Trevor Lawrence making, you know, $9 million a year, and he's probably at this point worth $50 million a year or getting into that conversation, um, you know, all of those savings, you know, you, you should spend around it. And, you know, we talk about the, the quarterbacks on the rookie contracts in the Super Bowl this year again with Jalen Hurts. Only one Super Bowl the last decade in 2016 did not feature at least one quarterback on a rookie contract. So, yeah, what he's saying is, Look, if we want to contend next year, the cap is not going to be the reason why we don't. Um, Maybe cash will, and we can't spend as much as we like from a cash perspective. But if we want to manipulate the salary cap, you know, we
1: certainly can.
2: Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com. Brad, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville, I mean, I love what you guys do at PFF. If people want to read your work, what do you have coming out over the next couple of weeks?
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so the biggest thing is right up this wheelhouse. So I just released our top 100 free agents on pff.com. Every single player has a a write up of their skill set, their, their their you know scheme fit, team fit is coming soon, and then also their contract projection for all 100 players. If you want to see you know kind of maybe where their market is um, for for every top free agent this
2: offseason. Brad, we love it. Let's do it again, maybe on the eve of free agency. Can't thank you enough, my friend. We'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you. There you go, Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus. their salary cap analyst. You know, you talked about that top 100 list of free agents. That's what we're going through. Look, there's 33 days till free agency. Uh, you take the weekends out. Let me do my Wolfson math on this. That means 23 hacker after darks until free agency officially begins. You know, we're doing four a night. And some nights there are bigger names than others. Tonight, number 92 through 89, as we're going number 100 up into number one. By the way, Dewan Smoot was already on this list. He was number 100 on PFF's list of the top 100 free agents. Tonight, 92, Rodney McLeod, the safety from Indianapolis. Look, I think the Jaguars, depending on what happens with Rayshon Jenkins and depending on what happens with Andrew Wingard, Wingard is an unrestricted free agent. Could be in the market for a safety, but not a guy like Rodney McLeod, who's been in the league for 11 years. Sean Robinson, interior lo- defensive lineman of the Rams, that's the type of guy I could see the Jaguars bringing in, another big body along the interior defensive line. Maybe you look at an Sean Robinson from the Rams, number 90 Garrett Bradbury, uh, good center for Minnesota, but obviously the Jaguars don't have any issues at center with how Luke Fortner played this year. And number 89, Morgan Fox, again, another interior defensive lineman. Again, that's another type of guy from the Chargers that the Jaguars potentially could have the money to sign there on the defensive line. But we'll go through them as we get closer. Some names bigger than others, but I'm telling you, the type of free agents the Jaguars are going to sign this year are the likes of Morgan Fox of the Chargers the likes of an A'shaun Robinson of the Rams. It's not going to be the big splash guy. It's going to be position of need and guy we can afford based on where they are with the salary cap. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we're with you till 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us. Coming up next, let's talk a little LeBron James. It was quite the scene last night in Los Angeles. We'll talk LeBron breaking. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record for the most points scored in the history of the NBA. Sean Devaney, our NBA guy with Heavy.com, he is also about 15 minutes away. A Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark, and we're glad you're with us right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM.
1: Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
0: Coming to the end of the third quarter. LeBron James, a shot in
1: history, and there it is! LeBron stands alone! The NBA's
0: all-time scoring record now belongs to
2: LeBron James. That is what it sounded like last night in Los Angeles, California. LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the most points scored in the history of the NBA. I'll tell you this. uh, I am not a LeBron fan. Those of you that have listened to me over the years probably know that. I thought the decision was a horrible decision, no pun intended, and I thought when he went to Miami, that gave me a lot of indigestion because all of a sudden I had bandwagon heat fans left and right that I had to deal with being a lifelong Orlando Magic fan, and that caused me a lot of pain and anguish for four years.
4: Not three, not yeah. four, oh, gosh. not five.
2: Hate it. Absolutely hated that. That was despicable. Um, so I am not a big fan of LeBron James. Having said that, there is no denying his greatness. The man is great at the game of basketball. Is he better than Jordan? Is he better than Kareem? That's for you to decide. I don't really know. But I do know that he's great at the game of basketball. No one has ever scored more points than LeBron. And by the way, I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. The dude's 38 years old. He was the best player on the court last night. I mean, could he get to 39,000? Heck, could he get to 40,000? What's he got, another year, two years at least in him? He wants to play with his son. Uh, that would be a two years minimum, two and a half years. This is a record that might become unbreakable. It took 39 years for anybody to get to Kareem. I don't know if anybody will ever get to LeBron if he stays on this pace. It was a fun night in Los Angeles and a great night for the NBA. With that, let's talk to my friend Sean Devany, Heavy.com. He has covered the NBA for many years. He's kind of our NBA guy here on Hacker After Dark, and he's next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday. Let's talk LeBron. Let's talk NBA trade deadline with Sean Devaney next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are witness or Witness with us. We witnessed sports history last night. I got LeBron James on the brain. That's what happens when you stay up till 1230 to watch the NBA scoring um, crown change hands from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to LeBron James, one of the coolest and most surreal sporting moments that I've probably ever witnessed, and uh, let's talk about all of it with our NBA guy here on 1010XL. We love Sean Devaney and Heavy.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Sean, you've covered the league, man, for a long time. Can you put into some sort of perspective what we all did indeed witness last night? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, just just uh, just remarkable to think, and and this is the thing that I was thinking was, uh, you know, I first started covering the league a couple years before LeBron came in, uh, and the NBA was in rough shape, man. I mean, it was it was uh, uh, post Michael Jordan, you know, the early 2000s. They had just come out of a a lockout, a pretty ugly lockout. Uh, in 1999, uh, you know, you had Latrell Sprewell choking his coach. You had Allen Iverson was was probably the face of the league, and he was having all sorts of legal troubles, with uh, arrests and domestic incidents and things like that. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant is one of the biggest stars in the in the league. He'd gotten arrested. You know, things were they things were down, and 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 LeBron came in in 2003 with all this hype. With you know, probably more height than any player uh, in the history of the league, and from the get-go, he's lived up to it. Uh, he carried the league back to prominence back to, uh, you know, the point where, you know, teams in Phoenix are being sold for $4 billion uh, and they're getting these crazy uh, TV deals, Uh, you know, a lot of that goes back to LeBron and and, and the way that he was uh, both as a player on the floor and off the floor. I mean, there's there's never been any trouble off the court, really, uh, with LeBron James. Maybe you could say the decision thing uh, in 2010 when he went to the Miami Heat, that was probably uh, the biggest uh, misstep that he He's made, but in general, uh, you know, he has conducted himself on the court and off the court uh, in a way that, that, that has really been exemplary uh, and has been such a such a big, big part of taking a league that was really down to the dumps when he came in uh, and elevating to where it is now.
2: Sean Devany, Heavy.com. Sean, watching that game last night, look, man, I, I remember what Patrick Ewing and Akeem Olajuwon and, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, even Michael Jordan, I remember what they looked like when they were 38 years old and I watched LeBron James last night at 38 years old and he's the best player on the court I mean it's astounding what he's still doing at his age in today's day in the NBA
1: yeah I mean you know a lot of that is credit to the to the technology of today and 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 the fact that um you know there are ways for for these guys um, to to stay in shape and and, and to be effective uh, later in their careers, just based on uh, a lot of what we've learned. Uh, but look, you still have to put in the work. I mean, you know, if you you can you can understand, uh, you know, why why you can stay healthy longer and why you can play effectively. But you gotta you gotta do the work on that, and 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 nobody's done it quite like LeBron. Um, you know he's been very lucky in terms of injuries. You know, the last couple of years he's had a little bit more of the those uh, three, four week injuries. Uh, but you know, throughout his career, he's 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 managed to stay healthy uh, and uh, and and to be playing the way he is. Uh, at age 38 is just remarkable. Um, So, you know, he he, he passed Kareem last night, but you have to think uh, he's going to obliterate this record by the time he's done because, you know, he's got at least two more years, you'd have to figure, uh, playing at the level that he's at. And then if he wants to stick around and play a little longer than that, then he's going to pile up more and more numbers. Uh, You know, he's not just going to pass this record. He's really going to, to put it well out of reach for just about anybody else.
2: Well, and to that point, Sean, I mean, look, I bet back in 1984 when Kareem passed Wilt Chamberlain and then kept playing, you know, after that, people thought, well, that was an unbreakable record. But but to your point, LeBron's now number one, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the league. As you said, at minimum, he looks like he has two years left in him, barring injury. But you talk about the unbreakable records in sports, I mean, there's a chance this becomes one of them, correct?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you, you got to consider that he's averaging – uh, 30 points a game at uh at at age 38 it's just hard to see somebody coming in and doing that and also uh you know you bookend it with with him being age 19 and averaging 21 points a game uh and and then at age 20 he was averaging 27 by the time he was twenty one years old, he was averaging thirty one points a game. So uh, you know it's 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 hard to imagine a player reaching that level of excellence at that young of an age. Uh, and then maintaining it uh, all the way through, through age 38. So, um, you know, it, that's not to say it's impossible, uh, but uh, <laughs> it sure is going to be hard. Uh, you know, maybe you could see a guy like Luka Doncic do that. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, even even health-wise, uh, you know, I, you can see that, 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 LeBron was almost bulletproof early on in his career in terms of in terms of injuries, and and, and we haven't quite seen that with Luca. Um, you know, you can go right down the list, and 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 see other guys you could maybe see potentially uh, challenging this this record. Uh, but you can find plenty of reasons why uh, it's 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 really going to be uh, nearly impossible.
2: Talking NBA with Sean Devaney of Heavy dot com here on Ten Ten XL in jacksonville sean i want to get to the trade deadline a couple of more issues as well but the last thought about last night's festivities look it was weird it was a tuesday night they're playing Mm -hmm. oklahoma city i mean certainly not a big rivalry or anything like that i thought it was fascinating how the game just completely stopped and then they actually had to play the fourth quarter uh which was interesting but but on, on a grand scale was last night Arguably one of the biggest nights in NBA history. How would you assess that?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, I really do think so. That that uh, you know, I, 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 the last thing that happened that was sort of of that uh, of that level was uh, was I think Kobe Bryant's final game in in 2016, where where everybody was paying attention and everybody was watching. It didn't matter. Uh, you know what day of the week it was. Uh, you know, you just knew you were watching something special. Um, yeah. So yeah, and 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 you know, here we are. Uh, you know, seven years later, I think anybody who watched that game uh, where Kobe scored 60 in his final game, uh, you know, still remembers it. And 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 I think it'll be the same way uh, for LeBron James and 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 for what we saw last night.
2: Sean, you mentioned Kyrie Irving. I mean, look, the last time I checked, there's one basketball on the floor, yeah. and now he's teammates with Luka Doncic. Uh, and they gave up some pretty good uh, players to get him, and Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. So I guess I applaud Mark Cuban and the Mavericks because certainly Doncic needed help, but I am pretty fascinated to see how this is going to work itself out.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the Mavericks, I I think one of the things that frustrates Luka Doncic and, and, and sort of the people in his camp is that the Mavericks sort of keep flailing around, trying different, you know, whether it's Porzingis, uh, or you know whether it's then uh, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, you know they're they're trying to find all these different guys and 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 uh, you know that's that's probably not the best way uh, to build a team around Luka Doncic. That you really do need guys like Dorian Finney Smith who you mentioned. Uh, and you're right. And you know I think he's. Uh, he, a fantastic role player. That's what you need around around Luka Doncic. You can't really build. I don't think you need a two superstar team around Luka Doncic. I need to need you need to have him be the superstar and build the right role players around him. Uh, and 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 I just don't know that Kyrie is 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 that guy. Um, you know, Kyrie does do a pretty good. You know, obviously he played with LeBron James. Uh, he played with Kevin Durant. Obviously it didn't work out with Kevin Durant. But you know, don't forget that they were really good. You know, their previous twenty games when when Kyrie and Kevin Durant were on the floor they were 17 and 3 uh or actually 18 and 2 uh so you know I mean they they had things rolling Kyrie can play with another superstar uh but you know again you just don't know all the all the nonsense that you get with Kyrie uh you know when is that going to pop up and 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 how much trouble is that going to be having said that look the Western Conference is pretty wide open uh, you know, Denver's at the top. I don't think anybody sees them as as invincible. Um, uh, you know, Memphis, number two, again, not invincible. So you can see why the Mavericks thought, okay, let's take a shot here because the Western Conference is pretty weak.
2: Final moments, Sean Devaney, Heavy.com. Sean, the trade deadline is less than 24 hours away. Uh, we've heard some names, right? Van Fleet in Toronto is one of the bigger names. How active do you think the deadline will be here over the next, uh, say, 12 to 18 hours?
1: Yeah, I think that 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 Toronto is the team that everybody's looking at. Uh, Utah as well. Uh, there's there's not a whole lot of sellers. There's not a whole lot of teams out there willing to give up players right now, uh, because uh, you know you get the the play in tournament, you get ten teams involved, and, and and more and more teams think that they can uh, uh, that they can you know get into the playoffs and move forward from there. But uh, uh, but certainly, yeah. Look, if Toronto decides to to move Van Vliet, uh, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, if they go so far as to move Og and Yanobi here at the deadline, that could be huge. And then, of course, Pascal Siakam uh, is 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 the one that would really signal a complete rebuild uh, in Toronto. So you know, that. That's four very good players that Toronto could move, uh, and they're they're, they're really fo- they're, they're really the focus of the trade deadline here. Of course, Utah has a bunch of players as well. Whether it's Jordan Clarkson, I uh, mentioned Mike Conley, Jared Vanderbilt, Kelly Olenek. Uh, you know, there's 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 a bunch of guy in U- guys in Utah who could be had, uh, so we'll see what the Jazz do as well. Those are probably the two teams uh, that are going to determine just how busy this trademark is going to be.
2: Sean, final question. You know my undying devotion to the Orlando Magic. I do. And it yep. has been down times for a long time. But I got to tell you, they got a stud, right, in Bancaro. I mean, that guy is going to be a beast.
1: I, I, yeah, this is, this is the guy that they've been waiting for, you know, and then they've, they've, they've come close with their draft picks where, uh, yeah, you know, uh, you take a guy like 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 Mo Bamba, uh, you know where where the top five guys were pretty good, and and they wind up with Mo Bamba at number six, or or you know Scotty Barnes is pretty good, and they wind up with Jalen Suggs. Uh, you know they've just kind of just missed, but 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 you know with Bankero it seems like they've they've got it right. With Franz Wagner, uh, certainly it looks like they've got it right. Uh, certainly some holes in that in that uh, in that lineup. I'm um, interested to see what happens with Jonathan Isaac. You know is he a guy who can Build up some value and maybe have uh, some off-season trade value. Uh, you know, we haven't seen that from him at this point, but uh, uh, you know, that's that's a possibility. Uh, you know, there's there, there's a lot of optimism there, uh, and there should be. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of good young pieces that they can work with. They've got some trade assets. Uh, they still have their draft picks, so uh, you know they're they're in a position really to become uh, a very good team. Uh, really in the next six months here
2: you know there are uh 17 players that I think have played at least one minute for the Orlando Magic this season 14 of them are 25 or younger I mean that that's amazing the only guys are Gary Harris uh Terrence Ross and and I'm missing one but there's only three guys that are over the age of 25 that have played a minute for them this season I mean that's pretty incredible Sean right when you think about it
1: yeah, it absolutely is, and 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 they're good players. You know, we're not talking about. Uh, you know, it's easy to sign a bunch of young guys who who aren't going to be any good, but you can see. Uh, a future. And you can see where these guys are going to mesh. I mean, I, you know, Ben Caro and Franz Wagner, I, I, I really like, uh, the way that those two guys can develop together. Uh, and, and, and you throw Wendell Carter jr. In there, if he can, uh, you know, stay healthy and, and, and kind of put this early injury history behind him. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's definitely, uh, uh, a lot to be excited about, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of where this team is headed.
2: Sean Devaney, Heavy.com. Sean, I know it's a very busy day with LeBron last night, the trade deadline tomorrow. Certainly appreciate you taking time out, my friend. Uh, we'll uh, talk again soon, and thank you as always, bud.
1: Okay, thank you, Ryan.
2: Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 57 on Sunday, of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's talk to a man that knows what it's like to play in a Super Bowl. He did it with the Pittsburgh Steelers and then, of course, came here to have a terrific career with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. That's my buddy Leon Searcy, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how we doing, man? Doing good, bro. Leon, appreciate the time as always. All right. Here we are, what, three or four days out from kickoff. What's going through the mind of the Chiefs and the Eagle players as we get ready for this thing on Sunday night?
4: Well, I mean, I mean, today is Wednesday. So today, if if I can remember it, you know, over 27 years ago, uh, this is when the real preparation starts. Uh, this is for the real feel uh, of getting ready for the Super Bowl is on your Wednesday practice, probably your most physical practice, your film study. You, you, you kind of the first two days, the first two days you kind of, you know, uh, get accustomed to the city fanfare. You know, spend time with your family. Make sure everybody's accommodated well. Media day, uh, but on this day, Wednesday, the feel of actually knowing that you're going to be playing the game in a couple of days, uh, you kind of you you get the intensity uh, from practice on on a Wednesday. This is when the real seriousness of the preparation comes about. Uh, the real seriousness of wanting to win the football game, the execution. You know, the timing, the tempo and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, this is when the gears start to turn and the players kind of uh, want to create some momentum going into Sunday, especially it starts in practice today on Wednesdays.
2: Leon, Kansas City has been in three of the last four Super Bowls, whereas Philadelphia has a few holdovers from 2017, but not that many. Uh, Obviously, Mm -hmm. experience would be in Kansas City's favor. Andy Reid has coached in four Super Bowls now. Nick Sirianni has not. Does any of that matter? Or come kickoff on Sunday, does all that go out the wayside?
4: I think it all goes out the wayside.
2: I mean, um,
4: a lot of people say that might factor in because, you know, the Kansas City has been accustomed to playing in the Super Bowls a lot a lot more frequently than the Eagles. But, man, it just comes down to what team is prepared and their readiness – to play when you know at the at the at the kickoff, uh, and, you know who, who who makes the least amount of mistakes, who capitalizes on, off of the other team mistakes, who controls the line of scrimmage, um, you know what what kind of tempo are you setting offensively, defensively? Are you executing uh, on third down and long, third and short? Are, are you getting the yardage, the run, the yak yards? Are you getting pressure on the quarterback? All those kind of things factor in. And if you can start early, or trust me, if you can start early in the Super Bowl and take a little comfortable 10, you know, 14-point lead, um, it's hard to come back from those type of things. So I, I, whatever team can get a good, fresh start early on, uh, take control of the game, uh, I, I think that's the key factor in who's going to win the game uh, come Sunday.
2: Former Jaguar offensive tackle Leon Circe here with us on Hacker After Dark. Leon, everybody's talking about the quarterbacks. With you, I want to talk about the defensive lines. We'll begin with Kansas City. Chris Jones, Frank Clark—they are outstanding, particularly Chris Jones. How vital is it for Philadelphia to neutralize them on Sunday?
4: You absolutely have to neutralize Chris Jones, and I mean, and he's not the top. He's he's a move guy. I mean, he can play the one, technique, the three, the five, or the seven. I mean, he get he he gets over the center, the guard, and the tackle. Um. So you've got to be, you've got to be uh, suffice offensively up front to be able to block him at any position because he moves around. Um, and I think the Kansas City offensive line is not, nothing to sneeze at. Very physical, very well equipped offensive line, running the ball as well as protecting the passer. Uh, so it's going to be essential that they they have to neutralize Chris Jones. He cannot be a factor. I mean, he's got. You've got to. You've got to be able to give Jalen Hurst the opportunity to throw the passes downfield and use his athleticism uh, in the game. If you're going to wear, if, if you're if you're going to have a chance on Sunday.
2: People talk about you know the Philadelphia Eagles' offensive line, right, and going up against Kansas City's D-line. Well, that Eagles' O-line is unbelievably impressive, Leon. It begins with Jason Kelsey. Who might be in Canton, Ohio one day from the center position, but really all across that offensive line, Philadelphia has had the success they've had in large part because of that line. Correct? Yo,
4: absolutely. It's going to be fun to watch. I mean, because I mean, because first and foremost, everybody's talking about Jalen Hurts. Uh, but listen, that Eagles offensive line, the Eagles front, they want to run the ball. They want to run the ball right at you. I mean, they're going to use uh, they're going to use the quarterback as well, Jalen Hurts. But they want to run it right down your throat. And you're right. They're one of the better, if not the best offensive line in the NFL. I mean, from tackle to tackle, especially at the center position. Like you said, Jason Kelsey, you know, he might go down as one of the top five centers of all time. He definitely will be a first ballot candidate as far as canon goes. Uh, And, you know, that's, that's what Kansas City, a lot of people don't want to talk about the fact that Kansas City struggles with the run. I mean they're, they're like in the bottom 10, 12 when it comes to stopping the run. Like they're in their twenties or something like that. So and the Eagles knowing that factors into the game, their ability to control the clock, convert on third downs, and running the ball. I mean that's what's going to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. And if their defense can create some third and outs against Patrick Mahomes, and you get that, you get that offensive line churning with the run game. Um, Kansas City's going to have to find a way to stop that run game, but it's, it's going to be a long day for that
2: team. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, let's talk about a guy that might be the best player in the NFL that no one talks about, and that's Hassan Reddick. 19 and a half sacks, including the postseason. He has been unbelievable, and really the entire Eagles front four. I think all four starters have double-digit sacks this year. It starts with Hassan Reddick. If you're Andy Reid, if you're Patrick Mahomes, if you're the Chiefs offense, what do you do about stopping those guys? Well, I mean, sometimes, I mean, in order to keep Patrick Mahomes clean, you're going
4: to have to match protect on a couple of occasions. What I mean by match protect, you might have to leave the tight end and on some, on, on some situations. You might have to move the back over to his side, whether he's going to be on the right or the left side. You're going to have to chip him. You're gonna have to cut him. You gotta you, I mean, you've got to keep him off his game. I mean, he he he's long, he's fast, and he's physical. He turns the corner, he's he using his hands real well. He's got a nice little spin move, double move, one-arm bar move. All those things are gonna factor in as far as the offensive line's ability to stop him. So if, if you're if you're Andy Reid and you're knowing that we're with Redick, you know, having all those sacks that he had in the regular season, you you've got to make sure that he does not disrupt does not disrupt your offense and whatever you need to do, whether it's leaving a tight end in, in or leaving the back to a side to help the right tackle in those situations, you've got to do it. But you also got to understand too, if you're doing that kind of stuff or against him, they do a lot of, they do a lot of stunts. They do a lot of two man and three man stunts as well, where he's looping inside on the center where they, where they, they go down, down and around. So, I mean, you got to factor that in as well as a twist game because if you do match protects against them and you cut them and you block with they tight end, in, then they're going to find a way to get them, get them around all that. They're going to do that by, by, by running a lot of stunts and, and, and twists.
2: You know, Leon, I was on ESPN.com earlier this week, and they're all about the analytics, right? What team has the best percentage chance to win these games? And they have it 50-50 between Kansas City and Philadelphia. They got it as a dead heat. Is that how you see it? Are these teams unbelievably evenly matched?
4: Yes. It's a coin flip, Pat.
2: I mean, I've been doing – I've been trying to
4: analyze both sides, trying to tinker with their weaknesses, what they don't do well, what they do well. And this is just going to be an evenly matched game. I mean, there's a reason why Vegas has it at a point and a half. I mean, this is going to be a coin toss, literally a coin toss, because both teams – Place is good on good. I mean, good offensive line, good defense, good defensive line, good offensive line. I mean, good quarterbacks. Um, So it, it, it's going to come down. I think it's going to be a fourth quarter game. I just want it to be a fourth quarter game. I don't want to blow out. And I think it's going to be a fourth quarter game. It might come down to a field goal at the end to see who wins the game.
2: Leon, which way are you leaning right now?
4: Well, right now, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Eagles, I'm, I'm leaning towards that offensive line. Uh, just punishing that that front for Kansas City. Kansas City's inability to stop the run all year long concerns me. Uh, even though you've got a mag- magician back there, Patrick Mahomes, who could put up points on a regular, I mean, I just feel that Philly's going to slow the game down by pounding them, running a lot of RPOs, taking their shots here and there. And I think they're going to wear and tear down that Kansas City's defensive front. Uh, and put them in a position where they're going to steal possessions away from Patrick Mahomes. And I think in the end, when it's all said and done, they'll have the ball last, they'll take it down, and they'll kick the game-winning we goal in the end.
2: Final moments here with former Jaguar <laughs> Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, I'm sure you guys talked about this on Prime Time earlier today, the Players' Tribune article that Trevor Lawrence wrote, really to the fan base in the city of Jacksonville. Um thanking the fans, saying how much he loves the fans, uh, talking about the future being so bright here in Jacksonville. For Jaguar fans that have not read that, they need to take 10 minutes out of their day and read it because how you don't get unbelievably fired up for what's to come here with this organization, with that guy as your quarterback, I I don't know then. If you're even a football fan, if you can't get fired up for that, what was your take on what Trevor had to say in that article?
4: Well, I read the article this morning. Joe Cowboy told me about it. And I read it this morning before we went on the show. Um, I, th- I thought it was true. I thought it was, it was truthful. I thought it was heartfelt. I think I thought it was honest. I thought it was uh, resilient when he talked about how they came back and the fans stayed in the stands. And when they were down 27 to nothing, he, he felt like he had to do something. Uh, he said that the fans didn't leave and didn't give up, that I can't give up. I got to find a way to get us back in this game. All those kind of things. And this guy, listen, this guy's going to win us the Super Bowl. I don't know when or where at what time or date, but this kid's got the goods, you know. And it had it. it took a, just a regular coach. Well, no, not a regular coach. It took an elite coach like Doug Peterson to get all of this, get, to, get it out this kid. I mean, this kid was number one pick overall. He's been the number one pick since he was like in eighth grade. And now he's at this level, and we second-guessed him the first the first season. We definitely second-guessed him the turnovers, the the lack of, of touch on his pass, the, um, you know, the interceptions, the fumbles, and all that kind of stuff. And then this year comes around, and he had a little five-game slump where he struggled. With intercepting and fumbling the ball again. And we are like, here we go down this road again. But this team was resilient, and they believed, and they didn't give up. They didn't listen to the outside noise. They didn't listen to what the media was saying about them. And they made a run, and they won a division, and they won a playoff game. And they and, and, and they went toe-to-toe with the Titans, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. And they should have won that game. Uh, a couple of uh, the ball bounces our way here and there. We should have been in the AFC Championship play game, playing the Bengals, and then give us an opportunity to go into Super Bowl. So they understand, Trevor understand how close this team is. And he, he probably he feels this team is even closer to, to winning it all after he's watched the games that were played. Because as a player, when you lose in a divisional round, championship round, whatever, you you watch the other games and you say to yourself, man, man, if we ever get an opportunity like that again, we're going to seize the moment. We're going to take advantage of it. So he knows that this team is close. He knows that he we got to keep a, a, a large majority of these players in place, like Evan Ingram, maybe Jawan Taylor, maybe a Smoot. Get some other pieces in the draft and free agent that's going to help us along. But this team is going to be is going to be stockpile. And ready to rock and roll come the season starts. And so, watch out, uh, AFC. The, the Jaguars are
2: coming. Hey, Leon, final question 90 seconds to go. You mentioned Jawan Taylor. Reports are starting to surface that he's looking for something in the $15 million a year range, which actually is not maybe as much as you would have thought. Right tackles in today's day and age are getting that and then some. If $15 million is the number, what do you do if you're the Jaguars with Jawan Taylor?
4: You signed him. You signed him. You signed Juan Taylor. You signed him at a, a, a four year sixty million. Guaranteed uh forty of it. I mean, um I mean I'm concerned the red flag is that he waited to his uh, his contract year to um play as well as he played, but also uh I also uh, his, his person his his father passing um, may have had him grow up a, l- a little faster than he probably should, and um, it just seems that the seriousness of the game is more important to him now. Um, I, I I don't know. I listen. I'm rooting for the kid. I'm rooting for the kid, whether, I mean, whether the Jaguars keep him or if he goes somewhere else. But I think he had a solid game. I think he's a solid right tackle, especially as, especially his pass-protecting game. He's got to be one of the – as far as grades go, he's got to be uh, one of the best when it comes to pass-protecting. A little concerned about his run-blocking ability at times, You know, has a tendency to stand up straight up and down and doesn't come off the ball as low and as physical as I would like. But I'm, I'm rooting for the kid. Uh, I rooted for him as rookie year when he had an outstanding season, uh, and I rooted, rooted for him this year because he, he, he was, in my opinion, uh, probably uh, the best offensive lineman on the team this year, in my opinion.
2: Leon Searcy, you get him every day on XL Primetime, a former Pro Bowl offensive tackle with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Leon, enjoy the Super Bowl, my friend. Thank you as always. We'll talk soon.
4: All right. Appreciate that.
2: And thank you to former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy for joining us here tonight on Hacker After Dark. Of course, you get Leon every day from noon to 3 here on XL Primetime, on 1010XL. Always appreciate Leon's perspective, a man that has played in the Super Bowl. He certainly knows what the uh, feelings are like right now as we are three days, three and a half days out from kickoff of Super Bowl 57. well that'll just about wrap it up boy it has been a busy and a fun night here on a Wednesday night edition of hacker after Dark we got a lot of people to thank again including Leon Searcy for joining us tonight thank you to Sean Devany of heavy.com talking LeBron James breaking the NBA scoring record last night passing Kareem Abdul Jabbar what a night it was out in Los Angeles not only for the Lakers but not only for LeBron, but really for the entire NBA. And you got the trade deadline coming up tomorrow afternoon. It'll be very interesting to see how active the NBA trade deadline is tomorrow. So thank you to Sean Devaney. Also, thank you to Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com. Love talking with Brad about a couple of things, including the salary cap, what the Jaguars need to do to get under the cap Guys they potentially have to cut, guys they could keep but have to restructure their contracts. It was basically an off-season to-do list, an off-season overview. Brad does a terrific job with OverTheCap.com and at Pro Football Focus. And if you missed that conversation, Jaguar fans, you can go to 1010XL.com on the on-demand section and give it a listen. And thank you in our number one to DJ Lagway joining us tonight. Here on Hacker After Dark, five-star quarterback for the class of 2024 from the state of Texas, committed to Billy Napier and the University of Florida. Really enjoyed the conversation tonight with DJ Lagway. We will be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.